Welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager for Gill Athletics. Our goal today is to connect you with coaches from around the world to learn their journey, share their stories, and just figure out who they are and what they're all about. So without further ado, let's get on and find out what today's guest has in store for us. And thanks again for joining us here. We are on the Gill Athletics Connections podcast. Uh, as you are listening to this, about two weeks ago, I'm just so blessed uh, the reception that the podcast has had. We actually passed 50,000 downloads and listens. I'm just blown away. When we started this back in January of 2020, Nowhere in my purview could I have seen 50,000 people uh, to hopefully have been blessed and encouraged and uplifted by this podcast where we encourage and uplift and honor coaches from around the world. And we're going to do it all over again today. I'm super excited. Speaking of being uplifted and and, um, honored and just uh, helped with the podcast, uh, you're going to have a good one with today's podcast. Here we are today with Mr. Raphael Craig from Louisiana Tech University. Raphael, how are you, sir? Hi, I'm good, Mike. Uh, I, I probably butchered that name. I, I always want to say Law Tech, but that's not the formal nickname, right? It's Louisiana Tech University or Lu- what is it? Yeah, yeah, okay. it's Louisiana Tech University. I went to uh, the, a very small school in Illinois called Illinois Institute of Technology. So it was Illinois Tech, not as cool as Law Tech by any <laughs> stretch of the imagination, man. Not, not as cool, cool as all. Uh, Raphael, man, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Definitely extremely blessed. Awesome, man. I am uh, excited. Uh, you know, you reached out to me uh, to talk about this next step. So you, you, you've been the, the coach at Law Tech for an extremely long time now. What are we at? Two months? Two and yeah, a half months? I, like, no, I think like two weeks. <laughs> two weeks? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, you reached out to me. I want to, uh, if it's okay with you, I want to kind of start there and then uh, we'll uh, kind of get in our way back machine and find out more about your career leading up to today. But we do want to celebrate you being the assistant coach at Law Tech. That's a big deal, man. And we're going to find out even more why it's a big deal here in a second. But you reached out uh, earlier last month and said, hey, Mike, the podcast, the Gulf Athletics Connections podcast helped me through my volunteer year more than you know. Thank you and mission accomplished. That mission being the, the position at Law Tech, man. Uh, so maybe give us kind of five seconds, 10 seconds. What, what about the podcast kind of helped you through a volunteer year that we're going to learn about here in a little bit? You know, so, you know, obviously if anybody that's coached and has gone to a volunteer year, you're like, they know, like it, it can be tough, you know, uh, play a lot on your mind. You know, you're worrying, you know, is this going to work out at the end of this? Am I going to get a job? You know, am I going to accept the job too soon? And then a better job came along and like, there's so many different variables. So, you know, um, whether, whether it was just driving to Dallas, like, cause we're headed to the airport or driving somewhere else. Like it was always like, I could throw on a podcast, listen to a story. So, you know, I think I'm, um, listening to, um, you know, Karen Davis over in Ohio State, like that was a great story. Uh, Mouse was actually a great story that kind of helped me to accept the position. But um, there's always just something good, like something about their story that inspired me. And like, you know, you see that their struggle and that they got through it. So it really just kind of, well, if they went through this and I know I can go through, you know, this over here. So, you know, it's, it's been helpful. You mentioned two great ones there, you know, and if you're listening now and you haven't listened to Karen Dennis at the Ohio State University and, of course, Mouse Holloway over at University of Florida, 
please do so. Put it in your queue. I have a, I, I use um, Overcast for my podcast listening, so it lets me set up a queue of, of uh, podcasts. Uh, but those two were really like I'm glad you mentioned you know the impact that those two had on you because really you know their stories were quite unique, by the way, uh, both have roots in Ohio, <laughs> with Mouse from being from Ohio and Karen from uh, coaching there, uh, but two radically different stories that had to overcome some adversity, a lot of adversity. I mean, when Karen Dennis tells me, hey, uh, so I left UNLV and I was like, oh, what, you know, what and why? And she's like, yeah, I got fired. And I was like, I mean, I mean, the, the, the transparency and trust she has to have to tell that story. Uh, but, and I asked her later, you know, why? You know, why would you say, I mean, you could have easily just glossed over that and moved on to the house that you didn't have to tell that part of the story. And she was really, you know, her, her, her thought pattern for telling people why, you know, that she was fired and why was because she wanted to help people. She wanted people to see that, you know, one day you might get fired. <laughs> uh, and that's not the end of the world. In fact, what a blessing for her as she goes to the Ohio State University and wins many, many titles and uh, is doing a, a just a stand up job over there. So uh, love that, you know, those two people specifically. Uh, had a had a positive impact for you, man. Really, really appreciate that. So let's uh, let's let's make it so that one day someone comes to me and says, "I listened to the Raphael Craig episode and it really impacted me." Let's find out. Let's make that happen today. So, Raphael, where does your story begin? Where does track begin for you as a sport, and kind of how did it morph into coaching? It's funny because I'm um, as a high school coach, I've always kind of told the story like about you know track saved my life and um. Um, I went to Wildwood High School for a year, my freshman year, and it wasn't until the end of that freshman year, like I just happened to be walking by the track one day and these kids are out jumping over a bar and I'm looking at them from the other side of the fence and I'm like, oh, so I ask, I try. Now, it's funny because I look back and as a coach, I'm thinking like if some kid asked me that, I'm like, no, I'm not getting sued <laughs> if this kid gets injured. <laughs> so, you know, so I'm, I'm glad he let me because I go over there and, you know, whatever they were jumping, I jumped it. And then like six inches later, I'm still jumping and they're all done. And then before I knew it, the guy gave me a uniform. So we got two more meets love for you to be on the team. So now, um, now Raphael, <laughs> you're letting your bias show a little bit. Cause I'm assuming I could be bad and everybody else is, is uh, it depends on what they're assuming. I think you're talking about high jump. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. But you could be talking about pole vault. Oh gosh. No, that would that'd be <laughs> impressive. If you can <laughs> just go pick up a pole. <laughs> Hey, uh, I'm happy to report some people have done that. Uh, now, the opposite is normally the truth. It's like, yeah, they pick up a pole and they'll never do it again. You know, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so you saw kids high jumping and you were kind of like, uh, was, was, it, was it the attitude of like, I could beat them? Or was it more of like, oh, that looks kind of fun and cool. I just want to kind of try it. More like, it looked fun. It looked, you know, yeah. I, was, I was always athletic. You know, we're always playing basketball, stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, no, I just wanted to try it and then, you know, end up liking it. Um, that um, I did the two meets, you know, it went well. And then that next year, I ended up transferring to uh, Millville, New Jersey. And so that year, like I knew I was going to go on the team. And, you know, so that kind of, you know, led to it all. Um, did you, um, I want to say it's Donald Thomas. Who was the kid that at the NAI school, did the same thing you, you know he saw the kids high jumping on the college team and said oh I, I bet i could do that and jumps i don't know i think he jumped you know the rumor is you know uh, the lore is like seven foot in high tops and then he you know transfers to auburn with the great jerry clayton and 
you know, now the guy's like an Olympian several times over. Um, do, do you remember that story? I, I want to say it's I, I remember it. I can't. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to mess the name up though. <laughs> yeah, I was like, someone hit me up on Twitter at Mike Cunningham and tell me, is it Donald Thomas? I, I feel like I know a Donald Thomas coach, and so I feel like I'm getting that mixed up in there. Um, but was it like that situation when you went over and tried it out? Did you jump like, I mean, if you jump six yeah. foot six so, off the street, that's impressive to me. Like, did you jump super no. high or? I jumped, I mean, the first, I jumped five, eight, you know, then we yeah. stopped and I finished that, you know, then that next year I actually went and like when I went to Millville, you know, so I would say that's what I always called it my first year. Cause it was mm-hmm. actually a year of training. So right. I went six, six, then as a sophomore, yeah, and okay. six, 10, then, then seven as a senior. But it was always funny because um most people don't know this, but I was the seven foot high jumper and I was the second best kid on my team. <laughs> yeah. well, hold on. You jumped seven foot in high school, which first of all, how many are doing that in a year? I, I don't, I mean, do 10 kids do seven foot in high school a year? No, probably not. I yeah, know not, we had two on the same team. Yeah. Not many. And so, you were the second best. Yep. Holy. So, cow. um, so at the time, uh, the name Robert Jordan, we both, we graduated together. We're still good friends today. And, um, you know, when, as a sophomore, I went six, six, he went six, 10. <laughs> then I went, I went six, 10, he went seven, two. Then I go seven, he goes seven, four. Wow. So that was our like high school, but you know, it worked out well so many ways. Cause one, it taught me, um, one, it taught me it's okay to be second, you know, to, it taught me how to be a teammate, you know, cause mm. you know, it's not so much about, about me getting first. It's about us getting first and second mm. or us getting 18 points. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing too, it taught me to branch out because I knew like, like I didn't mind taking second because I, I knew I still need to go be good at something. So it made me like curious about other events. And then all of a sudden I became like our best discus thrower and then our best shot putter, our best hurdler. So, oh, wow. so yeah, so losing to him kind of helped me become the multi of the decathlete that I was you know, going to eventually yeah. be. Wow. What it, I mean, like, it's interesting. I, I can't, you know, we said less than maybe 10 kids in high school jump seven footer. We had one at our local high school here, Muhammad Seymour, who uh, I think he jumped seven, two during the indoor season. So it's, it's a rare feat in, in high school for sure. But did you, you know, you kind of grew up in that, right? You had two seven footers on the same team. Did you just think like, Oh, this is normal. Like, you know, in Texas, they probably have a high school that has three seven footer or was it like, yeah. did you guys know like, Oh, we got something a little special here. Two kids, seven foot yeah. plus. It wasn't until it wasn't until I went back to coaching at Millville that I and I'm coaching kids and I'm looking at kids around the state and I'm look you know then I'm start saying like you know every now and then you'll get a year where six six one you meet a champs or six eight mm-hmm. and so that that was like an adjustment you know, and then it kind of makes you appreciate like how you know how rare that was yeah so you're like looking around like uh, where are all the seven footers I thought they, they just grew in trees <laughs> like me and Robert <laughs> right <laughs> how many so this is interesting so your school record is seven four four but, and three quarters but your, yeah. but your second place school record is like seven would you jump seven seven feet two, yeah seven feet yeah seven. How, how many high schools second place high jumper is over seven feet man and it happened in the same year that's amazing yeah wow yeah, it was a it was a it was definitely an interesting year our um that year that that class actually is getting inducted into our um hall of fame in our town this this upcoming year congrats so. that's awesome Wow. That's a big deal, man. That's cool. So what were you thinking for college? And did you think like, uh, and maybe you guys did, were you and Robert kind of like, Hey man, we should continue this seven foot streak. Let's go to the same school. Or how how was college uh, decision-making? Yeah, we thought about it, but um, there were, we had a little bit differences and, you know, back then, you know, now that I'm on the 
the college side of it, I understand more the where what it means because you know a college might not be able to go after two high jumpers. Sure. Or, you know, yeah, good point. They might not even be recruiting a multi-eventer. So um, so I ended up at University of Connecticut. Yeah. Um, Robert started. He he went to Barton for a while. Which yeah. It actually had a lot of success. Went on to go seven five there. Wow. And and then picked up triple jump because we didn't. That was one thing we didn't have in Jersey. Which looking back, I'm like, wow, mm. I wish I did because. As a coach, I tried it just to see what it felt like, and it was like it was it was it was fun. I don't think my shins would have handled it back then, doing all those jump ins. Though, <laughs> so what year was this roughly? What what year did you graduate? Uh, 99. 1999. So he went to Barton because I coached at Neosho County Community College for the 2001 season. So he was he still there? Did he do two years? He was now? there. He was there. Yeah, he did two years, and yeah. I want to say I remember him saying Tyson Gay was on that. I, I was about to was say, there there. yeah, it's interesting that he tried triple jump there uh, only because so the great Lance Brahman now coaching for Adidas was the head coach there. And he had Walter Davis, uh, I think maybe LeVan Sands, like he had like three or four, no kidding, three or four triple jumpers at like 55 foot. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, like I'm surprised he'd be like, yeah, Robert, just stick the high jumper, man. I got enough <laughs> triple jumpers, man. That's amazing. So you go to UConn though. What a great school. Uh, we had um, uh, Andrew Dubs on a uh, great UConn alum who uh, last summer we had him on, who really worked hard on saving the UConn track program when we got all the yeah. together to fight hard. I'm assuming you were part of that as well. Yeah. I was on um, those zooms. Yep. Good, 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 good. Um, so what was it like going to UConn and where are you as you go to UConn? Um, what are you thinking for a career? You know, you gotta, you gotta eventually get a job here. Were you thinking about coaching or were you thinking about going into something else? You know, my students, um, as a teacher, my students always ask me like, you know, cause they're looking like, well, why do you want to teach or why do you want to coach? And I always tell them like, believe it or not, like if you look at my yearbook and they ask you like what your career like goal is, I put down, I want to be a math teacher and a high school coach or a track coach. Really? So, now actually, I might've just put track coach at the time because i didn't i didn't I don't think i knew what level i wanted to do but. so what wh- where did that come from did you have a ins- uh, teacher or teachers that were really inspirational or family members teachers where, where did that i mean you kind of had a passion yeah. right off the get-go for teaching and coaching yeah i would say i had i had a lot of support um in milvo and one of the things was like i mean my guidance counselor mr Rowe, was really like he was one of those guys like remind you every day stay humble and I'm looking back, like he knew where I was headed before I knew where I was headed. So he was just kind of helping you. Know, you know, he always had a little advice for you. Um, my track coach, Coach Hoover. Um, it was funny because he, um, he, I always call him a great storyteller. Like he's one of those guys you just sit around and listen. You know, mm-hmm. give you some words of wisdom. Um, but he he helped me see what you know being a positive male figure is like, and like you yeah. know, the importance of it. Um, and then I actually had a Spanish teacher. Um, who I didn't learn Spanish from, but um, she's now the she's now the godmother of all five of my kids, and um, you know we have a great relationship, and she's just done a lot. So between wow. those people, they've just really helped me um, to help me point me in the right direction. So I would say I wasn't always the straight and narrow kid. <laughs> we won't we won't put those on recording. We'll let those just die in the past. <laughs> um, shout out to those teachers because. You know, a lot of times, if you've listened to the podcast, you know, you've heard uh, a lot of coaches say that they didn't even realize until kind of late in their college career that you could even be a college coach like that. Like they knew, like, here is this coach coaching me. And that obviously was their profession, but it never kind of hit them until later. Like, oh, wait a minute, I could do that. And I would enjoy that. I love these influences you had kind of 
from the get-go, at least through high school of like, you know, uh, the positive influence teachers and coaches can have on young people. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's invaluable. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I love it. So, uh, you go to UConn. What do you, so are you, you studying or you're, um, uh, education major? So actually, no, I think actually when I got there in this, I would say you, you know, we kind of have a plan for ourselves. And then, you know, you, know, you always hear that joke about like, you know, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plan. Yeah. But right. Always like, you know, so I always like to think God has a plan for us and it's probably a straight line. We, we continue to take detours and he continues to steer us back onto that. He's path. like, get, get so, back over here. All right. Now get back over here. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so when I got there, I mean, I think I changed majors like four or five times when I first got there wow. and, you know, and be honest, like, I think in my mind, I was, you know, college probably the workload probably was a little bit surprising when I got there. Mm. Um, you know, the track part was good, was, you know, and I did I end up winning Big East, like, soon, like when I got there for, um, in the pentathlon. And, but um, wow. I don't, I would say like, it made me a better coach in terms of helping my kids to really know what to expect. Mm. But that one, that would have been a little bit of, that was a little bit surprising. I'd probably say I didn't use my time as wisely as I could have, mm -hmm. but again, you know, it made me a better coach in the long run. Cause you know, right. these are things I look out for. So, you know, I know I need to be, and now at this level, I know, you know, just cause you got to college for that athlete, like that's not the end goal. Mm -hmm. You know, the end goal is to graduate. And some people get lost in, you know, thinking like, I just want to earn that scholarship. And then you get there. Ooh, I made it. Like, mm -hmm. no, like that's the beginning. Now you got to work, you know, until you get that piece of paper in your hand and, mm -hmm. And obviously you had success as an athlete kind of right out the, right out the shoot, right. As your freshman year. And you, you go in as a multi, not just pigeonhole to just a high jumper. Uh, I imagine that had to help, you know, learning the different events had to help maybe craft your idea of becoming a coach as well. Right. Because you could do more events. Yeah. And even early, I mean, early on, like too, like, you know, like we're high jumping, you know, we're doing this and then we had, we had, like, we had other kids. Like I think our third guy was a six, six guy. Um, but, you know, I was always like, um, I found myself always being helpful, always trying to help somebody else learn like form or, you know, do your trailing like this or stuff like that. So that's when, when I look back on it, I realized like I was already doing a lot of it at the high school level as an athlete, you know, just trying to help the other kids that weren't like, you know, necessarily at that same level. So, and, that, and then, you know, you see them, you see them have success and it kind of, you know, makes you feel good. I've heard them say, you know, decathletes, multi-septathletes have to be gym rats. You have to always be working on something because it's, you know, there's so many foreign events to you. You're, you're, you. No matter how prepared you are going into college, there's events that you've never done or have done so little. Uh, it, it always reminds me of the, the stereotypical quarterback you hear about in college, you know, always in the coach's office, watching film, breaking down film. Were you that kind of multi-athlete? Were you not necessarily the gym rat, you know, the physical side of it, but were you always studying the different events as well? Yeah, I, I can honestly say like, I, even now, like I'm, I'm, I consider myself a lifelong learner. Like I want to always be learning something new. Um, heck, I think I just finished my, um, I just finished a master's in coaching exercise science. Oh, wow. And I actually, and at the time I only started because it was like kind of curious. I stumbled upon it. I realized like, hey, I got, I got enough GI bill left to use. Like, like, why not? So, yeah. um, so no, yeah, I think, you know, I think just always trying to better yourself and, you know, get the most out of your life. But I think sometimes when you sit back and realize like you have one life, you have one crack at this, you know, like why, why waste it? 
Right. So, you know, whatever that passion is of yours, you know, go out there and pursue it. So where did that passion take you? You end up graduating. Did you get a, what was your final, out of all the different majors you went through, what, what did you actually land on and get the certificate, the degree for? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the, again, we talked about those detours. Mm. So, well, first let's say um, when I got the, when I got to Connecticut, um, I was, you know, I think it was like the first month in I was doing the hurdle drill, um, felt something in my shin of crack, couldn't walk on it. I get there, they x-ray it. And it turns out I had 13 stress fractures on my jump leg. Um, so funny, thank, thank funny goodness story. you didn't have triple jump. You're right. Yeah, no. Oh, and, um, and just, a, I guess a lesson learned because when I, it turns out when we were in high school, you know, I didn't know any better. So I, whenever I have shin splints, I would ice it and, and numb it, but I was doing that before I jumped. So then I would jump on it. I wouldn't feel it, but I, deep down I was making it worse. And, you know, so, so yeah, it'll be like wow. by the summer, like I go through like two weeks of it just throbbing while it's like, it's healing. But mm. um, a, a lot of those fractures were like, they cracked and healed, cracked and healed. And we finally, finally got it good enough that it finally cracked to the point where I wasn't walking on it. So so I was actually on crutches for about six to eight weeks. Um, and then, I'm sorry, my, get my charger. If you're watching this on YouTube, we just lost him. He, uh, he became a letter R. <laughs> oh, God. Did, uh, did the phone cut out or what happened? Can you hear me or no? Yeah, I can hear you. Absolutely. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. Yeah. This is the technical difficulties you go through sometimes, folks. I don't cut this out. You're going to be hearing this on the podcast. There we go. He's back. Yeah. All, All right. So, so now we got you got a broke leg. <laughs> yeah. So. So, yeah. So the stress fracture, I'm on crutches. Um, we're doing like pool workouts and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, actually healed up in time just to compete that indoor season. And that's what I said. That was probably the main part about winning that biggie some um, pentathlon that year because i just came off that injury but um mm -hmm. um then did spring season and then um, by the end of spring ended up cracking it again um so oh. yeah so after about two years like it was just injuries can get to you and again i keep pointing back to like all these things that end up making me a better coach later because you know now if i get a kid that's injured like i want i'm definitely checking up on them often you know right. trying to make sure to keep their spirits up and you know let them know they're going to get through this and but, um, you know, so by sophomore year, I finally, like, I just I actually stopped like running track mm -hmm. and, um, and I guess for better or worse, you know, I, like I'm where I'm at today, but I, I would say that <laughs> it was another detour. Um, my grades probably weren't as good as they could have been. Cause you know, you, when you stop track, then it's like, you know, well, now there's all these other, uh, something has to take its place. Right. And in this case, you know, so I would say distractions you know, end up taking his place. And um, that was the point where I was like, okay, am I just going to sit here and just keep doing this or what am I going to do something different? So I actually joined the Air Force. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I stopped early. I joined the Air Force. Um, I did the aircraft mechanic um, thing for a while. And um, it was funny because part of my reasoning at the time when I made that change was like, you know what, I'm going to go see the world. So I'm going to join the Air Force. Um, and I think an aircraft mechanic, well, I'm definitely going to see the world. Absolutely. So I got stationed in Jersey. So <laughs> is that the only place? Cause now I, you know, I come yes. from an air force family and we, you know, we, we moved around a lot. You, you were right there in New Jersey. Yeah. Well, cause I only ended up doing one tour. So, and, um, mm. and I was on the KC 10, which was a, 
the it's the the plane that does the refueling for the fighter jets in the air. Okay. Well, it's only stationed in two places, and it's California or Jersey. Uh, and when you go through your when you go through training, you know everybody gets a, a choice, a dream choice. And um, between the two, I ended up just go ahead and like I did the tech school in California. Then I went on and just did the the like station in Jersey. You know, right. the, you know more people, but I thought I would still see the world through. You know, through um. <laughs> Through like traveling and just you know tours and stuff so so how many that kind of years did you do enlisted so i actually ended up doing three and a half and okay. the reason i did three and a half was um we're about three years in and the, the whole iraq war thing happened um right. the operation freedom in 2001 and air force was overstaffed by like um, at least ten thousand or so people and the army was understaffed so the um, so the government came out with this initiative that if you were in the Air Force, you can you had the choice of you can take a ten thousand dollars sun end bonus and convert over to their army. Um, you can also convert over to one of the reserves, or you can just get out. So wow. I was like, so I I've been taking some of those um CLEP tests and stuff, and I was taking the, the classes um like to finish my degree while I was in the Air Force, and mm-hmm. um and I'm looking at my credits and I'm looking at the amount of tests I can take, and I was like, you know what? I can get done. I was like, I'll just get out. So, so between, I took like 36 classes that you know, 36 credits worth. And then I took 30 credits worth of CLEP test. And um, for those that don't know what a CLEP or Dante's test is, that's where you, you basically study, you take the test. And if you pass it, you get, you get the credit. Ah, got it. So, so I, yeah, so I switched over to um, Thomas Edison uh, state college in, in New Jersey and they were, they were an online school. And they, they would accept up to 30 credits worth for those tests. And I was a really good test taker as far as like, I could study, cram it, and then just go take the test. So right. 30, you know, got 30 credits. And then obviously the, the, the biggest part about it was um, if, you're not, or if you're in the military, it's free, mm-hmm. you know, go take as many of those tests as you want. So, yeah, so I, ended up, I graduated and this is where I knew like, like God, when he puts to put you back on your path, because the day I got out the, got out of the um, air force i got out like 6 a.m i drove two hours back to south jersey and i started teaching at 8 a.m so wow my, yeah, what, what a vacation the jobs just lined up two i know whole, right two but, whole hours <laughs> <laughs> but wow. you know when you're leaving something you definitely you know you want to make sure that you know you got something going because at that point now i right. already i already had my first two kids you know and i was married and you know, mm-hmm. you know so we have you know we got bills to pay yeah right that's amazing i mean you know, I, we've had a lot of coaches on the podcast now, you know, we're, we're over a hundred coaches from all divisions, all walks of life. I don't think anybody has stopped college, went enlisted into the air force and came back and spoiler alert, we're talking to the assistant coach at law tech. I mean, that's, that is quite the detour, my friend. <laughs> I don't think if we'd have written up a hundred different ways to become a college coach, th- this would have been in the, th- the top 100. Yeah. But you know what, though? It was a great experience, too. Um, you know, one thing the military is going to teach you is chain of command, mm-hmm. you know, discipline, structure. So, you know, again, all these things, you know, God keeps putting in my path to just, you know, help me become who I was, you know, going to become. Yeah, man, that's awesome. That's well, first of all, thank you for your service, because that is amazing. I, I did the um, I did the junior service. So I was a Air Force ROTC scholarship winner. And so I did a year of college in the ROTC under Air Force and quickly realized, yeah, I'm not good enough 
to to be here. It's this is not. I'm not. I'm gonna mess this country up. So I, I stopped uh, before I got actually in. So you're welcome, by the way, because I would just screwed <laughs> it all up for you. Uh, but that's awesome, man. That's so cool. So how? So where do you go? You you start teaching. So how how did you go from you know Air Force enlistment to teaching? You got your degree. Was obviously that degree was. I shouldn't say obviously. It had to be in some kind of education for you to go into to teaching. Yeah, so they had them. That's what's called the alternate route mm-hmm. um, for teachers. You know, when you when you're kind of low staff, mm-hmm. and um, so I so I did that. I applied. I got it. So I ended up going special education. Got it. And um, and then once I got hired, then I was um, I was seeking a master's degree in special education mm-hmm. while I was teaching. And then you would go away like one weekend a month, um, and you had to do a class, and everything else was either online or you would do like a every Wednesday for a year at night. Mm-hmm. So. You know, so that was basically like how I got my foot in the door, and then I was able to, you know, get eventually get get my certifications, and you know, and then I basically I immediately start coaching. I volunteered my first um, season there until a spot became available. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, so and I was back in my you know alma mater, so that was you know, sure. that was obviously a great experience. Yeah, what, was your coach still there? Your, oh yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yep. yep, he was still there, and then eventually what happened was I ended up getting the assistant coaching position as the women's track coach um and then three years later i ended up becoming the head coach for the women and i always say um i really like in my mind i was going to be the men's coach one day take over coach hoover and you know and, and um you know he would always say like yeah yeah you come back you know, I probably got a couple more years in me and then you know five years later he's still there but like i'm the women's coach but so i don't you know it doesn't matter but it was always funny because you know you never know when you want to leave and you know i would say like as i'm you know slowly getting up there in age like i can see you know, I'm not going to know when I want to leave. And, you know, if you love it, why, you know, why stop it? What did, I wish we could ask him directly. What did coach, did you say Hoover or Groover? I want to make sure I'm saying it. No, oh, Hoover. Hoover. What did coach Hoover think when you came back and now you're a volunteer coach and eventually you become the girls head coach. And, you know, he knew you as this skinny freshman walking by who was like, Hey man, can I try that high jump stuff? I mean, what a transformation that he saw in you from then until now, you know, you showing up and be, you know, you went through the air Force. I mean, that's, that's a heck of a transformation. He saw you through. Yeah, no, definitely. And obviously you know, you're, you're just, you know, you're just immature kid. And as you, you know, you're slowly growing up and coming back. So I imagine though, you know, when you see, you know, someone at that point in their stage, you know, they probably seen, that transformation many times over with, with a lot of their kids. So, but I imagine it probably put a smile on his face, you know, just knowing, you know, that he had a lot to do with, you know, mm-hmm. with that development. And, and let's not diminish what you did here, my friend. You know, I certainly agree and hope that Coach Hoover saw that type of development, positive development in kids. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, we're dealing with the odds. Not every kid is going to become an air force, uh, airman, you know, airplane mechanic, and then, you know, get a degree and become a teacher. Uh, you know, what you did is special. Let's, let's not, I just don't want to diminish that, you know, like, Oh yeah, coach Hoover saw this all the time. No, no, no. This is special. This journey that you, uh, went through and certainly what I'm interested in learning. And, and even if you don't know the actual cases, how many kids saw your journey and were inspired by it. I was like, wait a minute, that guy, like he was just a skinny guy who just started high jumping. He became really good. He went to college, uh, had some setbacks there. Didn't let that stop him. Went on into the air force and served our country and then got his degree. I mean, that's, 
That's heck of a story, my friend. <laughs> and we're just in mm -hmm. chapter one or two so far. This is amazing. This is awesome. Yeah, no, it's definitely been it's definitely been a thrill. So talk to me about coaching high school at your alma mater. That is also special. I have a very soft spot in my heart for people who coach at their alma mater. Uh, what was that like? Was it all you hoped it would be? Or were there some challenges that maybe you didn't see? You know, no, I loved it. I mean, I would say um, I definitely enjoyed teaching. Um, I absolutely love coaching. Um, the more time went on, like it just became, you know, it, everything starts to move a little smoother, get easier. You know, you start you know, learning the ropes. And But um, from the coaching side of it, um, you know, when I first got there, they had just came off like a, on the women's side, they were like, we have conference meets to start. And like, so we are dual meets. And I know a lot of states don't do that as much anymore. But um, so we have a conference of like eight or so schools. And then, you know, you go against each of them once. Um, and then you also have, you know, your state meets and things. And, uh, you know, like your regular part of the season. But um, so they just came off an 0-8 season. And, you know, I get there. And, you know, first thing in my mind I thought was like, okay, like, who's the athlete? You know, and then once I found that person, then I looked and I saw a couple other girls on the team. And, you know, my goal was like, okay, I, these three need to train together. And then it became those five and then those eight. And I just kind of started with like a, a, a just that first couple and just kind of it built from there. And, you know, and then it was like, I knew looking back at my past, like, you know, some, you know, things I liked and things that I didn't like, you know, throughout my, you know, career and my time at both, you know, at the high school and the college level. So I knew one of the biggest things I is I needed to make it fun. I needed to get kids at this age to really just love it, you know, because if they love it, you know, they're going to give their all, you know, and, um, and also, well, that's what we tried to do, you know, so for the, you know, I would do things like, um, you know, I got a tip from like the, for, the, the sororities and fraternities where they would do like a big brother or big brother, little brother thing. Mm -hmm. So I started that at the track. So, you know, so for the, on the girls team, there was a big, you had a big sister, little sister. And, you know, if the big sisters were obviously our, our seniors and our juniors and the veterans, and we paired them and we'd have a day where they'd get together and, you know, they find out who each other's are, you know, you know, like they're blindfolded, turn around, like, oh, you know, and I, I would pair them similar, like either similarities or things I thought, you know, they could learn from the other, from the big. And, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's funny how that worked because, you know, I come up, I have a plan, but it ends up becoming so much more than what even I would thought because, there's still some of them that, you know, big sister listeners that still are talk to each other today. And they're like, you know, 35 years old, you know, and they're still like, that's my big or that's my little or, you know, so that, checking that, up on each other. That's interesting. You know, in, in the scope of trying to bring value as, to, as much as possible to listeners, you know, we very purposefully stay away from the X's and O's of how to coach on this podcast, um, mainly because there are so many other amazing podcasts that talk about it and, and do a great job. Uh, and it would be unjust, uh, unauthentic for me. I haven't coached in now 15, 16 years. So, you know, when people say that I have forgotten more about coaching, then you, you know, well, it's, it's true for me only because I have forgotten everything. <laughs> it's, it's been so long, you know, it's like, right. It's not like riding a bike. You got to ride a bike to learn, to keep riding the bike. I have not coached in 15 years. So I don't know any of that stuff. Go listen to, you know, Sprinter's Compendium, Altus. Um, oh gosh, who else has great uh, coaching type? Uh, oh, uh, Kibway Johnson. Uh, we'll do someone as 40th podcast. Amazing, amazing podcast to talk about how to coach, how to coach, how to coach the X's and O's. Here, we just had a pretty good lesson on how to coach that wasn't X's and O's. So you built this, um, I don't know, would it be fair to say this mentoring program inside your high school yeah. program? 
Yeah. So yeah, because what what is what ends up happening is that, you know, like they start to look out for each other. You know, the older kids, the older kids know what I expect as a coach, and you know they help the younger kids adapt to it quicker. So I found I found myself not having to do so much of that early on, like trying to get a freshman to understand this is it because I had somebody else also in their ear kind of telling them the same thing and knowing like, nah, you know, do the coach Craig is not going to play with that. Like, you know, make sure you're in class, make sure you're doing this. So, you know, and then it just gave them also, it helped them feel comfortable in that setting as, as like so much faster because now they have somebody that's right away looking out for them. And, you know, if you go into, it doesn't have to be a sport. If you go into something and you're alone and everybody else already knows each other, like that could be an uncomfortable, you know, feeling. So, mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of helped break the ice. And, you know, representation matters, right? So I imagine that uh, a 17, 18 year old high school athlete talking to a 13 to 14 year old high school athlete about, hey, Coach Craig, don't play with this. Hey, here's how you do it. Your warm up. Here's what's expected of you. That means more than the, uh, pardon my way of saying this, Raphael, but the old man, the coach saying it, right? Like the, it, coming from someone who's in your same peer set would have more value, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I mean, and they got close because I'll tell you, I had, it was a time a teacher came to me and she was like, a couple of my girls were in the same math class. And like, every time she would go to try to correct the one girl, the other girls would defend that girl. And and I'm kind of laughing because I'm like, I always wanted them to be that close, but then, you know, I have to kind of let them know, all right, you got to let the teacher do their jobs. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Dial it back. Just one notch there, please. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What, What up? So you're doing this on the girl side. Uh, the men's coach, Coach Hoover, who's your former coach, uh, how did that go? Did he pick up and start doing it as well? Or was there any tension there? Because, you know, no, definitely like boys that. and girls, but you're still the same high school. Yeah, nothing like that. Um, You know, and everybody has their own way. Coach Hoover, you know, he just, he's like, you know, that's great for girls. And, um, you know, and just something like that particular thing, you just, you know, chose like, nah, guys are going to do this. And, and that's fine. Like I said, everybody has their own thing that they have to find that you know works for them and you know for me that just worked and then you know starting a youth club you know that was another thing I felt like was important um you know if you want to have a good high school team you know you need a feeder program you know um our town was big on like soccer you know soccer had a feeder program you start off at like I feel like you start off at age two and (laughs) but so so before we get to the club real quick um and this question is not a reflection on coach hoover but if someone's out there listening right now and they coach boys, I want to make sure that they hear this from you one way or the other, whatever your answer is going to be. Having your experience with this uh, big sis, little sis mentorship program, do you feel like it would translate to a boys team? And again, this is not a reflection of Coach Hoover. This is just bringing value to people who coach boys. On the oh, high no, absolutely. Level. I mean, I got I got the idea from a fraternity, you know, mm-hmm. in so I would say, I would say that actually, you know, it's, it's all on how you make it. So now it becomes a, more of a brotherhood, mm-hmm. you know, of guys looking out for each other. And, you know, that, that could be more important, especially considering, you know, the town and neighborhood, the, you know, the outside circumstances when they go home, the, the environment, you know, mm-hmm. so you no, know, that, I mean, yeah, that could be, that could be very beneficial. Okay. That's good. I just want to make sure if someone's listening and you know, maybe they have a similar attitude of like, oh yeah, that works for girls, but not boys. Uh, but I, I thought the same thing in you know, my fraternity uh, when I was in college, uh, I still remember my big brother, <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> yeah. like, like I, that was my guy, you know, absolutely helped me out. So I, I, I wondered if you had 
thought about that on the boy side. Uh, okay, so you start, uh, you're not busy enough teaching and coaching on the high school level. You also decided to start your own track club. So what in the world are you thinking? You're just not, and, and you get, you're, you're married and got kids. Uh, so what were you thinking here? What, how'd this go into play? I mean, I just, honestly, I love track and I love like, you know, just what it does, you know, and how you can, you know, in my mind, take someone like me who I felt like I was heading nowhere. And then now I have all this direction and, you know, I just, I've always wanted to give it back, you know, help other people see the same thing. So, um, you know, the other side also, you know, I want to be successful with what I do. So from a coaching standpoint, well, if I start a youth club, um, you know, this is a long-term goal, but eventually they're going to get to high school and, you know, these kids are already going to know my drills and know what to expect and know, you know, mm-hmm. have some, you know, discipline in, it probably couldn't have worked out any better because um, when I started it, my oldest daughter was the youngest age group. She was four. Um, and when I left to come to Texas Tech, my oldest daughter just became a freshman in high school and we uh, had won our first state title. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> uh, proof is in the pudding, I guess. Holy cow. Yeah. So was it just you doing the track club or did you have assistant coaches and how many kids did you end up having? Cause yeah, I've seen some of these clubs, man, and God bless you people who do summer track clubs. Cause I can't do it. You guys are amazing. How, how did the structure go and how big did you get? So I, so basically it was two parts to the club. And, um, and actually when I first got, when I first got to Millville, Oh, did I lose you again. Yeah. I can still hear you though. You're good. I got it. Oh, okay. Now my charger is on, but it's still saying low. YouTube YouTube does not want to see Raphael's face, I guess. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Let's see. But um, so yeah, when actually when I first started coaching, I actually volunteered um at a Quicksilver Track Club in Vineland, which is our neighboring town. Yeah. And then that's where I got to at least see like, okay, how the club thing works, how to register kids. So I did that for a year. Um, and then that's when I decided to start my own club. And um, we, I end up, it ended up evolving into two parts. So I had a part that was about six to eight weeks long in the summer. And um, because again, like our sports town, we were big baseball, big softball, big mm-hmm. soccer. So I knew I wasn't gonna get a lot of kids that were gonna be those like all year round track kids. So, so I made something where I just wanted to introduce them to it. You know, they come out at age you know, three, four, and then all the way up to 18. So that group ended up becoming about a hundred after like three years. So it was about a hundred kids. Wow. Um, but then the group that traveled, which ended up being more of the high schoolers and some of the middle schoolers would be, um, that was a smaller group. And that was the ones that was like, you know, they were, well, if they were high school, they're with me already. And then once the summer came, they got ready to do like the AAU stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they would travel and we went to, you know, we did a lot. We did AAU and USATF, but to be honest, we usually did whichever one was closest mm-hmm. <laughs> because- yeah from a budget standpoint, but, you know, but they were able to see them just like what the experience I got, like I was able to give them that experience of going to see the world. So, you know, you know, they got to go as far as New Orleans, California, Houston. So it was, you know, you know, great experience. You know, and then we always try to do something, make sure they see something. Cause um, I'll be honest when I, when we were going to all those national meets in high school, you know, coach Hoover always made sure that we saw, you know, the, the arch um, in St. Louis or, you know, we went up to the Sears Tower in Chicago. So they always try to add something, you know, to it. So, you know, that's where, that's one of the things I really love about track and the things that we're able to do, you know, for our athletes. I, I think um, that's, I think that's vital. Like, I love when I hear stories like that. We had Robbie Strickland from down in Florida, who's a, um, has a club for AAU and a lot of the same sentiments of, you know, helping the kids see 
past where they are now and not that, you know, hometown is bad by any stretch of the imaginations, but, uh, but, you know, to help bring as much of a world perspective into each young kid, they've, you know, it's good to see the arch and New Orleans and see other people's cultures and things like that. I, I love that experience you gave those kids. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah, so from, so at that, so the one of the things I did with club wise, um, my assistant coaches like um, coach Kalababa and they, um, they would always come, they would help out in the summer. And, you know, I wasn't trying to like, I know it's a lot, I know it's demanding. And so I never want to put the pressure on everybody like to feel like, you know, oh, we need, you know, like, I know you're with them fall, winter, spring, but I need your summer too. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so what I ended up doing was um with the youth club, I ended up having my, my high school, like seniors and juniors and the ones that really knew track or really were involved. They became what the coaches for my, the little kids. So, if they were really great with kids and I'm, you know, like we have one girl, Victoria Thaler, she was like, she was just great with little kids. And so she would take like the, the, the four or five-year-olds and you know, they would go through drills and they would teach them, you know, all the little A skips, B skips. And, you know, they'd always try to end it with some sort of game just because, you know, the attention span of a four-year-old is not as, <laughs> as long as it, you know, hey, you I'm, probably would like, but I'm, I'm 40. Well, actually by the time you're listening to this, I'm 45 and I still have a short attention span. I, I still need games. So I get it. Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. What, um, that's amazing. So you did this for, you mentioned your daughter's age. So I'm guessing 10 years. No, I'll say 07 to 07 to 20. So well, I've been coaching 15 years. So okay, actually I started right away. So yeah, so basically 15 years between wow. it all. And, and you mentioned Quicksilver Track Club, uh, which, you know, there's a, in my world, a famous track club down in Georgia called Quicksilver. Uh, and I hope we're not starting any beef between the New Jersey Quicksilvers and the Georgia Quicksilvers. Uh, I know Hassan Stamps listens to this and he was a Quicksilver guy. I don't want any beef. Uh, what was your, did you have a cool club name? Oh, now, you know what? And here's, I, I, literally, I, I had a strategy for everything. And in my I mind, bet. I know I that knew, so far. Yeah. I've learned that. Yes. <laughs> well, I wanted to make sure if we're going to fundraise and we're from Millville, then I needed to make sure that the people in Millville were going to embrace us. So I kept it simple. We were the Millville track club. Oh man. You kind of, so, yeah. You know, I, mean, I, I get the strategy, yeah. but, <laughs> but you know, I never fundraising was never hard. You know, we got plenty of donations. They all pretty much came from Millville, but um, you know, we had a great support system and even, even towards the end, like, you know, you might not notice, but Mike Trout's from Millville. Um, okay. And, you know, so I was, um, so we have an organization called the Thunderbolt Club, which I was a, a, on the board for. And um, one of the things that we ended up doing was um, the Mike Trout Golf Tournament every year. And what that does is they, um, the money we raise for that, we actually give a, um, a $500 scholarship for, for one male and one female in every sport in high school, the, the graduating senior. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So we, and they've, and they've added on each year and, and it's gone up. Um, like every, like, the more we make, the more we keep raising it up and you know, trying to include other people. And um, recently before COVID, we like, they just started doing other things like, you know, allowing, you know, a certain amount of money to go towards each sport if they need a special request or, mm. or like in my case, if I have kids that are going to nationals and, you know, we're trying to fundraise, well, now they have a, a set in their bylaws that they can give us, you know, X amount. Mm. And um, so that's been great for us. And, you know, and Mike being generous enough to, you know, let us have a, a golf tournament where he comes down and plays too. He actually, now he loves it. Like every October. (laughs) I'm terrible. I, I, I don't like baseball. 
Mike Trout, the baseball player, right? Is that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as soon as you said, it's like, I think he's a baseball player, but I am the worst. Yeah. I don't watch baseball. I played fifth grade one year and had a zero batting average and realized baseball wasn't going to be for me. So I, I stopped playing. Mm -hmm. I sold all my baseball cards. I was out, man. Uh, but I thought I knew that name big enough that he was a, a baseball player. So you're going through the club program, you're coaching, you're doing it successfully. You're having kids, you know, go on and, and go to college, not only just for athletics, but for academics, you know, going on and, and doing themselves better. Is there a, uh, you know, uh, is there a, a yearning for coaching college? Is there a yearning for whatever you might define as the next step? How did, you know, we know you mentioned it already. We go to Texas Tech after this. So what, what was the impetus for that? You know, so I would say like during that time, I probably always had that desire to want to coach and um, to coach at the college level. And I think it was just something where it's like, almost like maybe to prove to myself, you know, I could do it. So I've had the success at the, excuse me, at the um, high school level. And then I had, you know, have a success at the club level. You know, we had quite a few like national champs at that youth age. And, um, and I think it was just more of that question. And then it kind of crept in slowly and then it kind of kept growing and like, you know, you know, like, well, can you do it? And then, you know, COVID happens and my, um, my oldest daughter, you know, she had just came off her um, freshman year and, you know, she had won the national um, that new balance national champ in the heptathlon. Oh. So, so now here we're at COVID and we're, you know, we're about to not have our, a season I and mean, we're not training. And, you know, I'm training in our front yard on our concrete sideway sidewalks. And, and I'm looking around and I'm like, you know, we, we were already thinking about like, okay, well maybe after she graduates college, you know, maybe there's a gap in between kids where maybe I go ahead and take that chance. Um, Cause at the time I was looking like, well, since I was in the military, well, if I, in Jersey, it looked like if I did 20 years, I could like defer retirement and then I can, at least I locked something in. So then maybe go, mm -hmm. but, but yeah. So then, like I said, COVID happened and it was just like, okay, maybe we should, you know, consider doing this now. And um, that coaches collab group on Facebook. Absolutely. Um, Shout Marissa out Marissa Chu. Chu. Yeah, baby. Yeah, so, Absolutely. So she, she had that going and like, you know, I'll tell you what, COVID was a surprise. COVID's adjustment. Like you get used to a routine and all of a sudden you're just home all day. So yeah, when I saw that coaches collab, I, I jumped on those. I'm on Zooms like every day and had me a little schedule and um, I'm talking to people and getting, you know, you know, I think Harry Merrill was on there once and we're getting like mm -hmm. great insight from him. And um, and then one day we're on the jumps one and um and Coach Thomas is on there and he's talking about something. And and so I, I messaged him and we started talking like track and talking multi-events and, you know, talking about breeze training and a lot of our training was real similar already. Mm. And for me, that was good because, okay, well, I'm doing this at the high school level. So it's validation that what I'm doing is right. Right. Um, now, of course it didn't hurt that I, I, as a high school coach, I had already did like two of the level twos with boo. Um, oh yeah. Hold so, on now. So tell us about that. Which ones did you go to and wh what did you do? All right. So I guess technically I did three. So the first one I did was strength and conditioning, Okay. which um, definitely shout out to Millville. Cause um, you know, one of the things like our um, athletic director, um, Dave Lugamba was great about was, you know, if I want to educate myself, like he was going to help me find the money. So, oh, you know, we, so we need more of that. If you're an administrator and you're listening right now, uh, I just mm -hmm. saw a really impactful tweet over this uh, weekend about, you know, we, we have all this money for uniforms and things like that. And I say that not being too, you know, there ain't that much money out there. You know, it's not like we're making things out of gold here, but, uh, but that we, a lot of schools miss exactly what you're talking about that, that professional development side that they don't put any 
budget towards helping their coaches continue to get better, uh, whether it's strength and conditioning, track, football, code, whatever, going to clinics, camps, et cetera. So Millville made this a, like a priority. Yeah. So awesome. So we, yep. So we got the strength and conditioning. Then awesome. the following summer, I went back and did sprints, hurdles, jumps because that year the combined events they they weren't having it that year because they were revamping the um, the um the curriculum. Right. So I did sprints, hurdles, jumps, and that was with um, Keba. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So that was, and then um, then the following year I got to go back and do the um, got back to do the combined events with Boo. Yeah. Um, and then um. And then, you know, it just kind of like, it, it just sparked my interest. Like, I love like what we learned. I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm one of those guys that definitely, like, if it's, if it works and I know it, it should work, I, you know, I put it in right away. Like I'm not set in my ways, mm -hmm. you know, and that was, you know, one of the things I always tell my athletes too, like, you know, I want you to challenge me. Like I want, I want you to leave here with an understanding on like what you should do, what you should expect to do. You know, like our relationship should begin with, you know, like I'm, you know, we're, I'm coaching you and this is like the program, but by, your senior year, like we should be able to have a conversation about, you know, your goals and your program and, you know, things that, you know, work, might work best for you. And, but, um, no, so doing booths, that was great. And that was also kind of a compliment to where coming off there and kind of just restructuring some things and what I was doing, you know, really like took our team off and, you know, helped allowed us to, you know, also become, you know, the state title and, you know, wow. or state champs and things like that. But, um, so you're talking with Coach Thomas through the uh, coaches club. Oh yeah, yep. So we're talking about that, and then um, I asked him. I'm like, you know, if you want to get into the college world, you know, like, what do you got to do? And his honestly was like, man, he's like, you might not want to hear, but the best thing I can tell you, man, is you, you got to do that volunteer year. Mm. And then he explained, and he was like, and if you go do a volunteer year, he was like, you got to come up to a power five school. And his point was, well, if I if I go volunteer somewhere. And, and not, not that there's anything wrong with volunteering, but if, depending on your goal, if your goal is to get to a division one school, then go volunteer at a division one school because mm -hmm. that's what, you know, they're going to look and say, okay, well, he's learned here and he's mm -hmm. done this. So, you know, so at the time he was just, you know, he wasn't pitching it for me to come to Texas Tech or anything. He was, you know, obviously I'm in Jersey. So he's looking around like, okay, well, you know, you have some power five schools in your area. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, you know, go hard or go home. So I'm like, well, Texas Tech, you know, you guys just won the national title. You've got, you know, you got great facilities. This is COVID. I'm not going to train anywhere. So, um, so I, you know, we talked about it and he, you know, he offered me the job and, you know, you know, we made it happen, but it was, um, it was, it was, it was very stressful. The more I realized it was about to really happen because, you know, now I'm talking, you know, I'm 15 years into teaching, you know, he's got pensions, you know, you got family, wife and kids. Um, I am actually, you know, I was actually remarried. So I also have my oldest three have a, um, their mom lives in Jersey. So I also had to talk to her about it and, you know, get her permission. And, you know, so those are just a lot of variables and, you know, so it was, it was stressful. I kept praying on it. Um, definitely had some people in my life that, um, you know, coach laws from Pleasantville and a lot of just, um, just very God fearing people and coaches that, you know, offer me support. Um, I think I even reached out to Lamont over at, um, over at, um, uh, what's this? John, is it Johnson B. Smith? Johnson C. Smith. Yeah. Johnson C. Smith. Yeah. Um, reached out to him. Um, Gene Galloway, you know, gave me the D3 perspective mm -hmm. and, um, just a lot of coaches were just, you know, supportive and just kind of offered me some, you know, the guidance and the, if I'm going to do this and things like that. So, um, 
so that's where your podcast started to come in. So I'm listening to um to you talk to Mouse, and you know he's talking about a story with him and and something that his father told him. And this was probably the most stressful part of that I was going through. Like I'm mean, I got like knots in my stomach, and I'm like, oh my gosh. So he said his dad told him, if you're going to pray about it, don't worry, and if you're going to worry about it, don't pray. Wow. And I mean, like that. I felt like I needed to hear that at that moment because like I immediately like I became at peace. And I knew like, okay, like I've already prayed about this, you know, that was it. So from that point on, we went on and did it. Um, and obviously, you know, getting there, like, you know, there's still a lot, you know, there's an adjustment to college coaching, you know, that I would say if you're ever considering, you know, doing that, you know, which is kind of why that volunteer year is important because, you know, it isn't just the recruiting, you know, it's the paperwork. It's, mm-hmm. it would say, I would say it's also just adjusting to that grind, you know, you know, if you're at the high school level, you know, you are always thinking about tracking, you're always planning stuff and, you know, you know, but, you know, well, at the college level, well, now you might have four practices, you know, you might like, I think right. the first time I was there, like, I think after a couple hours, I was like, man, I've been standing a while, like, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but by, you know, but by the end of the year, you know, you know, you quickly adjust. And if, you know, if it's something you love to do, you know, you're going to be at it every day. And um, the other thing I think I really appreciated with, um, you know, Coach Kitley and Coach Robinson, Coach Thomas, Coach Slagle. I mean, I can name them all, even Lana, our director of ops, you know, just being able to like ask them questions. Like the thing I really liked about college is I like everybody I just named are just the most helpful people, you know, that you can get. Like I can ask them about anything and like they're going to give me their best answer. And even now I can call them up, you know, so I can't, you know, that part is the part that I think about that you get to do as a coach, just go helping people. And when I first got there, like I remember watching Coach Thomas just trying to help people get in dorms or help this overseas kid get an apartment. And, you know, that was, the, that really stuck with me because it really told me like, like, this is what I want to do. Cause I just, I love this, the helping and, you know, you're not coming in every day with exact, like a set schedule, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do exactly other than my, you know, the training and I got to get this done and that done, but, you know, I don't know how I'm going to help somebody today, but I know I'm going to help somebody. First of all, before I say what I was going to say, I love that last line you just said right there. I, I just know I'm going to help someone today. What, what a great attitude, anybody out there, no matter what you do, whether you're a college coach right now, a high school coach, maybe you're an athlete. We've, we, I know we've had some athletes that listen. If you open up your eyes each morning with that attitude right there, how am I going to help someone today? this world would be a lot better. <laughs> like we would have so much less pain and heartache out there. So I love, love that attitude right there, Raphael. Uh, but what I wanted to say, taking a step back here, uh, and I have all kinds of respect for James Thomas. I love that guy. Easily one of the best coaches in the NCAA level in this country, uh, who now is at the University of Georgia with another great person, Carol Smith Gilbert, love her. Uh, But with all respect for James Thomas, I do want to put this disclaimer out there for everybody who's listening right now. This is not the only way to go from a high school club coaching situation to the college coaching. This is a way, and I'm so thankful that this way has worked for our guest today, but I don't want to get pigeonholed to where we think that this is the only way. There are many, many examples. Go back and listen to previous podcasts. You will hear several different examples on how to uh, make it to the next level if that's what you, if your heart desires, even the the division one level. Uh, but I just don't want to people thinking like this is the only way 
to get it done. Uh, but this is a way. So uh, let's learn more about this way. So Raphael, where are you in your personal life as you're deciding to go big or go home? Love that. Of course, that's you. I mean, this whole story today has been about go big or go home. Uh, where are you personally as you're deciding to go from New Jersey to Lubbock, Texas? Uh, great university, and Lubbock is amazing, but there ain't nothing around it. But Lubbock is Lubbock, and Texas Tech is te Texas Tech. Married kids, are, are you deciding to bring them all out? Are you going to do a year? You're going to sacrifice time with your family, and you're going to be separated from them? Where are you in that aspect of this decision? Well, I can tell you, um, and I definitely, you know, I can appreciate like everybody's choice and decision because some people do have to, you know, you might have to leave your family for a year or something, but um, that was, that was not going to be an option for me. Um, you know, like I'll I always said like all my, like I train all my kids, you know, they all basically run track and then yeah, at the early age, they all do all the other sports too. But, you know, I, I knew that we were either going to all do this or we all were going to stay where we're at. And, you know, that was just something I felt, you know, strongly about. And, you know, they agreed to like, I don't even think they could imagine if I went away for a year, but, um, but no, it was, um, it had so many actual benefits in the long run. Um, my oldest two girls, you know, they're about 15 months apart and, you know, they were, you know, they've always been great with each other, but now I feel like they're like darn near twins. Like they're so much closer and like our family as a whole is so much closer. Cause you know, you come out to a new state and now it's just us, you know, you start to, you get to know each other even more. <laughs> right. So especially you know, so during that's, that's COVID the, even it's like impacting. Exactly. Yeah. So what was, yes. and you were married and like, you survived? Are you still married? <laughs> yes. Oh, no. You know, honestly, um, definitely owe a huge, like this would not be possible without my wife, um, Shayla. And, you know, she's been extremely supportive. She really, she pushed me to do this more so than I was going. She, you know, she knew it was a, a dream of mine. She knew, you know, I was, she knew I'd be good at it, you know, and she, uh, she didn't want me to like, she, every time I had a doubt, she was the one helping me to turn that doubt around because, you know, you know, we kind of live like we need to try to, the, those doubts are the devil trying to talk us out of something that God had planned for us. So, you know, now we really try to take that mindset and anytime I get that, you know, you get that feeling it's like, no, you know, um, we got to go for it. So, no, she's been great and supportive and, um, you know, really just held it down, you know, even now, like, you know, being able to be the type of person that can make sure, like, you know, I got to go on a recruiting trip that mm -hmm. I know everything's fine and we're here, you know, even though we're in another new state. <laughs> Is she from New Jersey originally? Yes. As well? What, what were her thoughts of like, oh my goodness, we're going to West Texas. Was it excitement? No. Was it reservation? I mean, the good thing about it for us is, you know, for us, we just looked at it as Texas because, you know, like I've been, you know, I've been to Houston, I've been to Dallas and the, those areas, but, you know, what is not as, it's not as bad as people realize. Like, in fact, I'm like, I, we really like Lubbock. Mm -hmm. Like when you get, now granted, when you leave Lubbock, it takes you a couple hours to get to the next place. A couple of hours. Of Lubbock, yes. <laughs> yeah, but the town of Lubbock itself is actually really great. Like it's, it's always say like, you know, when you, the East coast, you know, our road system, stuff like that are just, it's a mess, but that's because it was like trial and error. Well, by the time Lubbock came about, you know, they had a lot of good thinking. So I'm like, every road has like three or four lanes, all your, you know, right. like there's, it's very simple, you know, north, south, east, west, 
you got a loop going around it, which makes mm -hmm. it so where as big as it is, you know, you could be anywhere in Lubbock in 10 minutes. Did you ever, so I've gone to West Texas a couple of times. Uh, in fact, when I coached junior college, the junior college national cross country meet was in Leveland. So like just outside of, of Lubbock. Uh, did you ever drive through a little town called, do you remember a, a town called Garden City? Texas? Do you, I mean, there's so many little towns I know, but I, I don't, don't, I know I've, I've driven oh. through like a happy Texas, but yeah, I'm not, not garden city. There was, I was driving through garden city, Texas, and it is literally the stereotypical, like, I'm not sure they had a stoplight or a stop sign. Uh, it was in the morning, early in the morning and there was a gas station. They did have a gas station and it advertised like they had burritos or whatnot, you know, breakfast. And so I was like, Oh, I'm just, I was so starving. So I pull over and I get this burrito from the gas station now in new jersey <laughs> and uh, illinois when we do that it's the plastic wrapped burrito or whatever you know no no this was homemade tortillas freshly cooked sausage and it was literally to this day like here i am i mean this, that had to be 10 years ago 10 years ago i still remember this stinking breakfast burrito i had in garden city <laughs> texas man it was amazing and I don't know if I'll ever get back, man. I'm just so sad. So if you're ever in West Texas and you go through Garden City, stop by the one gas station. It's amazing food. It was amazing. Uh, okay, so you get down to Lubbock. You don't get to go to Garden City and have a breakfast burrito, but you're <laughs> learning a ton. And you're learning a ton from, you mentioned some of these guys and gals from some amazing people. James Thomas is uh, by far and away one of the most amazing coaches around. Uh, Calvin Robinson, that dude's amazing. Wes Kitley unbelievable um uh what a Cl cliff right the throws coach cliff yeah cliff. yep cliff falcons. Uh, has done yeah falcons has done has coached some unbelievable people slagle i mean, I mean there's just that, that's a staff i mean there's no uh question of why they won a national title right i mean you put good coaches together and they can recruit and coach game over right so how are you mentally taking on this role as a volunteer coach are you trying to soak in as much knowledge are you just trying to use leverage their network for a job what's your mentality going into this position well you know we had a lot of talk we had a, lot, a, a good talk about this and one of the things that coach thomas did was he always tried to treat the volunteer coaching job like like an internship like you're like he wants to make sure you walk out like you're not holding a stopwatch and a clipboard and you know and it was, it was great for me too. Cause like probably like about a month in, like, you know, just having that trust in me and knowing that I already had a lot of coaching experience, like he was starting to, able to you know, give me more responsibility as we went on. And, you know, I think leading up to conference, you know, one kid was coming off an injury and then I just had him, you know, to work with, to get him ready for conference. And so those were like, those were nice days. So he had, he had a pretty good system in place on how to, you know, basically how to help a coach, you know, understand the ropes and, you know, get to where they need to get to. Um, and then obviously I think the adjustment period too is, you know, you know, if you're an athlete, you know, now you got a volunteer coach and, you know, so there has to be that, but which is good because, you know, it helps you learn how to deal with people and, you know, and by the end of the year, you know, you know, you know, I have much love and respect for like, you know, every athlete on that team and, you know, and, you know, and I imagine that they're, you know, affectionate towards me and you know the relationship we've had to, you know what we were able to establish in a short amount of time so you know it's been um you know that was a great you know just great overall experience and you know the things you learned just in probably say just an invaluable again you know but um one of the things I would say 
for me coming from high school and kind of answering that question was when you get up there and you see, oh, they have the same problems that the high schoolers have, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, that like, oh, that, that kid's, that kid points his toes, you know? <laughs> oh. And we lost him. I think his battery died. So I'm going to give it just a couple minutes and see if he pops back up here. And if he doesn't, I'll just chop all this out of the uh, podcast. You'll never hear it. You'll never know that Raphael dropped out on us here. It's amazing what he's talking about this volunteer year and bring, taking his family to um, Lubbock, Texas, and the sacrifice that he and his family and his children made for this um, goal of coaching college track and field. So it's great to hear uh, this internship style of volunteer coaching that uh, James Thomas put together and uh, really helped Raphael understand the differences and even the similarities of coaching high school. So Raphael, you were getting ready to explain some of the similarities you saw between high school and college. I think it's a good lesson to go on here for a little bit. So what were, as you moved from you know, many, many years of coaching high school and club, and you go to not just college coaching, but you go to, you know, they're coming off a national championship. You have some really well-educated coaches at Texas Tech as well. What were, let's do both sides of that. Let's start with the similarities and then what were the major differences? What were the similarities uh, that you found between coaching high school and coaching big 12 level? You started mentioning some of the uh, cues and corrections were some more common, you know, toes pointed, things like that. What were other, some of the similarities? Yeah. I mean, a lot of similarities. One, you know, when, when you get to know them, you know, they're just, they're, they're really, it's just more of a continuation. Like they're just, you know, one year after their senior year of high school, like, so, you mm -hmm. know, they're still not, you know, they're not all of a sudden a pro where they haven't necessarily figured everything out. You know, there's still a huge adjustment for them, even just adapting to college life or the training or the, you know, the load and, you know, responsibility or probably a big one where people fall short on is like getting to college and realizing, you know, recovery is part of your training day. You know, don't just assume practices two to four, two to five, and then that's it. Like, you know, we, you know, we expect you to, you know, go see the trainer or come to go before practice to treatment. So, you know, those are a lot of, a lot of things that I noticed. Um, but similarly, you know, the biggest thing is like, you know, they're, they're kids, you know, and then some of them are, you know, they're more transitioning towards adulthood. Mm. You know, conversations can be a little different, um, you know, and I think at that, that point, you know, they're starting to be able to have, take their own stances on certain topics. And, you know, this obviously was a great year as far as, not great as far as what, when, what happened, but as far as being able to talk about political things or things like that, that they might want to express themselves, you know, they've been able to, you know, as they, you know, figure out who they want to be and what they believe in and what they feel strongly about. Yeah, I thought when I transitioned from coaching high school in Chicago to coaching college in Alabama, I thought, oh man, it's so much easier to be a college coach. Like you get to pick the kids that are on your team. I was so naive, Raphael. Uh, but I was like, oh, you get to pick the kids on your team and they'll be the best of the best. And you like, you know, a lot of the things that you have to drill into the high school kids, that'll already be done. And we're starting at a higher level. And then, you know, I get there and it's like, oh, you point your toes too. Oh, 
you don't know what a warm up is. Oh, you don't know what cool down, you know, things like that. Uh, so uh, a lot of similarities, just maybe they're instead of working in that 14 to 18 age group, you're working in that 18 to 22 year old age group, right? And, and you're dealing with in high school, you're dealing with a team that is has a lot of similarities in the sense they probably grew up in that area. They know the area, they know the same people, they grew up in the same, maybe uh, morals and structures and ideals. And then you go to college and you got kids from around the country, if not around the world, that are all trying to learn each other and their styles and their differences, uh, what they find important, what they don't find important. Uh, so I like that, 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 uh, perspective you give there. It's like, you know, it's not a whole different, it's not like, uh, you know, two sides of a coin. It's, it's the same coin, <laughs> same athlete, yeah, just a little yeah. bit older. Yeah. So what were some of the differences then you kind of alluded a little bit earlier about, you know, maybe sometimes having four practices in a day and uh, the grind of paperwork. No, no, I've yet to have a coach come on and tell me they love all the paperwork part of coaching college yet. No one has. So what were some of the differences that you kind of noticed immediately and had to kind of uh, figure out if you will? Yeah. So I'm, well, one of the differences I found was that um, one, I would say that there's more like on a high school team, you're probably going to have a handful of kids that like you're, you know, your top kids or your college bound kids. And then you have kids that are, you know, they do it, they're good, you know, but this track might not continue at college, but, you know, it's taught them a lot of valuable lessons for, you know, to, that they could take into the real world. Um, well, at the college level, you're going to have a lot more kids, a little bit more motivated, a lot more kids already like um, a little bit more like structured. So I found like it was easier to talk to them and have conversations with them about their training where, at the high school level, like I, you know, my goal is, is, is the same. I want them by the end of their experience to be able to understand, you know, what the cycle is and understand, you know, you know, why this week has less volume than those three weeks before and things like that. But it's, it's just a little bit easier to talk with a college athlete about it. Cause they already know a lot of that stuff going in and, you know, we're just like, we're getting to work and we can just, you know, you could talk and know that they know that. <laughs> mm -hmm. What but, other, what other differences did you notice that you were like, oh man, I did not expect, was there anything like unexpected? Like, oh man, I didn't know a way to do this as a college coach. Yeah. Well, I would say um, on the paperwork side, no, because I think, you know, being a teacher and, and I don't know if it's everywhere, but I know for being a teacher in New Jersey, like, you know, there comes with a lot of paperwork. So in my mind, it's just part of the job and, you know, you got to do it. And, um, but um, I would say, yeah, the, the, like the multiple practices, which is understandable because, you know, like why would a high why would high jump practice and pole vault practice go on at the same time if you're you know if you're that coach so um so that makes sense and you know we're able to just you know just get you know adjust to it like as a coach understand like well now I get to just focus on track all day so I get to structure my day how I want mm -hmm. um but um and then obviously the little things like you have to be flexible with your practice time because you know this semester these kids your pole vaulters might be available from one to three but next semester you might have a kid that you know he has a class at that time that he has to take because it's his senior year so you know if you have multiple groups you know then you have to just be able to be flexible and adjust so we've had a few high school coaches on the podcast that have gone on to coach college and one of the biggest I'm gonna say myth I almost said a knock a myth is that high school coaches you've never recruited so that's why you can't coach college. <laughs> Maybe you know how to coach sprinters and jumpers. That's fine. But you know what? We have to recruit on the college level. 
what, uh, how, how did that aspect, and I'm not even sure much as a volunteer coach, what you could have done or did do, but how was that aspect of, uh, a, a, I would think a major difference, right? Between high school and college, or, or maybe not. You know, that was one of the things, and I definitely heard that too, about, you know, you got to basically, the volunteers like proving you can recruit. And um, I probably came across it at a good time. So again, that's all according to God's plan. But, you know, coming here with COVID, they changed the rules because when I first, the first month, you know, I got to reach out to a kid through texting, let them know like, hey, you give me a call and then I can talk to them. But then, you know, they took that rule away because of COVID. So now I was basically able to just recruit like everybody else, which was, you know, beneficial and allowed me to like, you know, just be able to be more active right away. But um, now, you know, you're, you're recruiting at the high school level too. You know, you want a team, you got to, you know, you want to fill a team, you know, you got to do it. You know, you're not, and you're not just recruiting them. You know, you got to get the parents to buy in to your system. Um, you know, the more buy-in you have, the more successful they're going to be. And, you know, if you don't do those things, then, you know, it's, you know, you're kind of, you know, you can be setting yourself up for failure in the long run. But um, no, at the high school level, you know, if you, like, I remember when I first got in, like everything I did was recruiting. Like, I'm like, oh, this kid did this sport. Like, hey, come, you know, let's try this. And, you know, I've, I was able to tone it down later, which was kind of why I started the youth club. So I wouldn't have to necessarily be looked at as like, I was taking this person from this sport or, you know, I got this other coach mad at me. But, you know, in my mind, I was like, I have to tell the athlete what I think was best. And, you know, I had a pair of twins that were um, softball players. And they were, at the time they were JV softball players. And they came off a of winter track and, you know, the first, you know, by the end of the year, like they're running like 101s in the 400 and they're sophomores, and, you know, indoor flat track. I'm like, well, that's pretty good. So, you know, we kind of came up with a talk and goal and like, well, if you hit this time for this, I think you might want to consider spring. So long story short, you know, <laughs> the softball coach wasn't happy. Um, years later, we worked it out and we worked out a good system of which McCasey came down to like, if I feel like they are, they can earn a scholarship and track, then we'll have a conversation about it. And after that, other than that, I won't steal anybody else. But um, <laughs> so leads But those girls actually went on to get full rise at um, East Carolina University, and you know, the one went on to work towards her doctorates in mathematics, and the other is a psych, a psych degree, and you know, wow. they're both doing extremely well. And every time I see their dad, who's actually a cop in Millville, you know, he always like, I always say like I'm his favorite guy because I saved him <laughs> the price of two tuitions. <laughs> right, right. You're a hero, man. <laughs> Yeah, twins, man. You got a whoof. Everything just doubles. <laughs> right. Yeah, I love that aspect of the recruiting side. You know, several high school coaches we've had here on the podcast, like the ones that are successful, and, and everybody on this podcast is successful, they talk about recruiting. Like they talk about whether it's from other athletes or, you know, the, uh, the hallway recruiting is how some of them will talk about it. You know, it's like, hey, man, I'll see a kid in, in the hallway and be like, that kid's tall they could should come out and try track maybe it will work out maybe it won't but golly let's come out and give it a try instead of just walking the hallways and things like that so um and now in college like you got it i'm gonna say you got it a little bit easier because everybody you recruit in college already does track so you're already you know in high school you got to get softball players to run and band members and such college you at least get the on the playing field of like okay well everybody runs track I got that down now I just got to tell you why my university and my coaching might be better than someone else's so uh so I just want to dispel that myth about high school coaches not being able to coach on the college level there's been so many success stories so it it definitely is plausible (laughs) well you know the other thing I add to that was 
and when I first started recruiting here, like, you know, like as I find my niche and like what I'm doing, like it was like, ah, like first I was like, do I, you know, do I like this? But I actually ended up loving the recruiting part of it because it was just, I got to talk to people. I got mm -hmm. to connect with them. I got to share stories. Um, you know, if I reach out to a club coach, you know, like, like I remember reaching out to one coach and like, you know, the 10 minute conversation turned into two hours because, you know, we just had so much that we can relate to because, you know, as a club coach, you know, you're the coach. Sometimes you're the mom or dad away from home. You're the counselor. You're like you, you know, a club coach does it all. Like you and people, you know, I was like, it's, it's interesting at the end of the day, what I'll like the most, which level, but I definitely have an appreciation for all of them. Cause you know, and we all know the club coach, you're also the fundraiser. You're doing the, you know, you might be in the kitchen baking for those, you know, those big sales. So, you know, you do a lot. So you go through your volunteer year at Texas Tech. And, you know, the goal of a volunteer coach is not to continue being a volunteer coach, right? Uh, you know, you, uh, you want that proverbial raise, you want a paycheck. <laughs> so right. how, how did it go coming through the year as a volunteer coach, but also maybe having an eye towards a full-time position somewhere? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I mean, you're always looking at the, um, you know, for jobs and as they come open and, you know, and then the most of them will tell you, James and them, they'll say, you know, when we get after regionals and stuff, that's when you're going to really start seeing things open up and, you know, and, you know, and it did. And, you know, especially with a two year break where most people's jobs were frozen, you know, right. so, you know, a lot of us kind of kept thinking, like, oh, well, you know, stuff's really going to open. And clearly it has, as, you know, as James in Georgia now, you know, so there's definitely been a lot of shifting, but, um, but no, it was, you know, it can be stressful. I tell you that because, you know, like I said, you keep, you worry, you hope that, you know, you're going to get the job that you want. And you hope that, you know, oh gosh, what if I get offered a job? You know, do I take that job right away? Do I hold off and hope that a better job comes along? And, you know, and then it was great to be able to talk to, you know, James and Calvin and, and well, Kit, Coach Kitley and, you know, be able to get their insight and stuff, you know, so, um, Obviously, for me, I would definitely, I would say I, I try to pray on everything and I definitely pray on it. And I really want to end up somewhere where I felt like, you know, felt like I belonged, felt like it had a great atmosphere and it had the, you know, potential to do great things. And, you know, so when, um, when I called Wind of, you know, Louisiana Tech, you know, um, talked to Coach Gary and he invited me out to come check it out. And, you know, I always, I'm, I'm not a feelings person. I always say like, you know, when I pray on it, I, God's going to give me that feel like this is right. Like, so, you know, we came here and I was like, I just, I felt like I just knew it. This is it. This is where we're supposed to be. You know, um, I was kind of fortunate. My daughter happened to be with me because we were, um, we were in Dallas doing a, um, a heptathlon. So it made more sense for us to just drive four more hours and then to go all the way back and drop her off. So, so she got to see it too. And, you know, we both just really enjoyed the area. We liked the setting. Um, so, you know, it was a great fit. You know, in today's world, not many coaches stay at a institution for a decade plus. And you're coming from one place at Texas Tech. Wes Kitley has been there, I don't know, not forever, because I can still remember his Abilene Christian uh, roots. Uh, it, did he ever tell you the story of how he went from Abilene Christian to Texas Tech? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 We, I got to have him on the show um, one day to tell that story. It's amazing. It's awesome. Talking about the path is just awesome. Uh, but you go from uh, Texas Tech, where Wes Kitley has been there for a long time, a lot of stability, a lot of growth, right? You talked about the new facilities and, uh, you know, bringing the program up and winning a national title, which is not 
easy to do, folks. Uh, and then you go to Law Tech and you have Gary Stanley, another amazing coach who has been at that institution for a long time, lots of conference champions, lots of All-Americans, et cetera. Uh, do, do you look for that kind of situation? Like, was that attracted to you in the sense of like Coach Stanley at Law Tech of like, oh, here's someone, like I know he's not going to be leaving next year, which is potentially going to leave me out of a job. There was some stability there or was that just kind of happenstance in regards to the university job itself? No, I say in both situations, like I one, I really prayed for like even the volunteer year, like I prayed like like that I land somewhere where I'm going to learn, you know, from positive people, from people that like really care about what they do and the you know the kids that they work with. So you know, so when I look up with James and Wes and stuff, that worked out great. And then you know, I was like, well, let's pray for this again. So you know, landed with Coach Stanley. You know, been here 39 years. Um, you know, and even now being here and seeing some of his athletes, even just over these past couple of weeks, come back to visit. You know, he has one of his athletes getting inducted into a Hall of Fame here um, you know, very soon. And, you know, just being able to see that and see that history, you know, you know, that's um, I definitely I appreciate it. And, you know, it's inspiring, you know, because, you know, obviously I'm midway jump in careers. But, you know, in my mind, like 20 years from now, I'm hoping, you know, that I'm in a similar situation where, you know, I plant a root somewhere and I really help, you know, leave my mark on, you know, an institution and a whole lot of athletes. <laughs> Yeah, you, you strike me as a root person. You know, you talked about Millville and being an alum from that program and being there for, you know, over a decade. Uh, a guy like me, I was a no roots person. So I coached for 10 years and was at five different institutions <laughs> and, and would have probably done 10 more years and 10 more institutions. Uh, now I'm a root person, you know, being here in the Champaign area for our factory for the last 15 years. That seems important to you, this, um, the root theory that I'm given here. So like, do you, as you have with your family, which is obviously very, very important to you, is that what you're striving for is some kind of stability? Or do you think, you know what, when we have you back on the podcast in 10 years, are we going to be talking about the last 10 schools that you've been to? No, I, I think you're definitely not going to be talking about the last 10 schools. I am, I'm not a fan of moving. I can tell you, um, you know, I definitely want to be somewhere where like, you know, I feel like I belong. I feel like I'm part of a team and I'm helping to accomplish that school's goals. So, you know, and that's why it was so important because, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, I've heard different advice. And you know, some people told me like, well, yeah, do your volunteer year. Then you're going to do a year or so here. And then you're going to transfer it to this one. And then by the third one, you might be where you want to be. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so that's why I was like, no. So I knew if I come out, you know, if I come to a Texas Tech, I could probably avoid some of that bouncing around because I can, you know, build up and learn enough that I can just get to where I, you know, want to be. So, you know, I definitely feel like we accomplished that. And, you know, I couldn't have asked for it to happen, you know, any other way. Yeah, you certainly, uh, and I'm going to say landed, not like, you know, you, you had a path, but you certainly have uh, ended up at a great school a great program i can't say enough good things about gary stanley against stability and doing it the right way uh definitely not lucked out because you know you prepared for it but man what a what a great place really yeah no it's brilliant so what uh you know with the knowledge of you've been there you know we can count days that you've been at law tech and it's summer so we haven't had any practices and things like that but with all that in mind what's got you excited as you you know look at your roster for the upcoming year uh, maybe you guys have already started looking at your schedule what's what's maybe got you excited for this upcoming year at louisiana tech 
you know, really just the opportunity to work with the athletes, um, you know, get to meet the staff. So, um, you know, we had a COVID year at Texas Tech, so I, you know, we didn't really get to have any recruits on visits. So, you know, right. even just, you know, so being here in this, you know, just being here in these two weeks, I've been able to have a couple athletes come visit, you know, start to really get, you know, get settled in. And um, I'm just excited about the year as a whole. Um, you know, we got some good recruits coming in and, you know, we're looking at a few more to it and, you know, Hopefully, if everything goes right, then, you know, we're going to, you know, we'll be looking really strong in this upcoming year, right? You know, kind of hit the gates running. Well, you know, now when you're on the podcast, everybody, like, they pay attention now. So we're going to be looking at results and indoor season and outdoor season. We're like, all right, let's see what, uh, and, you know, honestly, I'm just going to blame James Thomas if you, if things don't go well. I'll be like, well, James, he was your volunteer. Like, you were supposed to impart all your knowledge uh, into him, so... <laughs> Uh, but man, I just want to, you know, just give you a shout out, Raphael. I, first of all, appreciate you, your kind words in regards to the podcast and how it, uh, you know, positively affected you, uh, as you go through your volunteer year, um, you know, volunteers are amazing, right? You're giving up your own time for, uh, no monetary return. And, and it's one thing to do that as a, as a single person in this world. And that's not easy either. Uh, but to do it with a family, children, a wife, a must be an amazingly patient and loving wife, shout out to her, first and foremost. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the stress levels continue to rise, right? And with COVID, there's a lot of uncertainty. So I just, uh, you know, can't imagine the stress levels that you and your family went through. And I'm just so happy that like the positive, the, 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 the equal sign of the equation was you got a full-time job. You, you, you hit your goal. I want to coach division one college track and field. And here we are as the assistant coach at Louisiana tech university, man, just shout out to you, your perseverance, your goal setting, your leadership. Uh, it's a big lesson for all of us to hear that journey. No, thank you. And I appreciate it. You know, like I said, it says it, it's just, it's been a blessing and it's been, you know, it has ups and downs, but, you know, at the end of the day, I've always been a positive mindset type person and I'm going to find that good and no matter what the situation is. So, you know, just, I'm just trying to enjoy this life. And, you know, when I close my eyes, like I want to know that, you know, I didn't have any regrets. Man, I can't see any happening. That's for sure, man. That's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're, you, you talk a lot about the path and I love that you use that analogy. Uh, so with those paths, even things that we might've made mistakes of in the past, well, that's part of our path. Our path would not have been the same if we didn't make those mistakes. So absolutely no regrets, man. It's, uh, it's all moving forward. And what's awesome about your story is you have so many more chapters to write. You are uh, in the infancy of your journey in college coaching track and field. So uh, I'm just so excited to see what the future lies for you, my friend. It's going to be amazing. I just know it. Yeah, actually, we, didn't, we forgot, um, I didn't even mention because we were doing them um, before COVID. I was also a master's athlete. So I definitely want to give a shout out to all those masters athletes out there because when I went um when I went in 19 I was 39 and we went out to the um uh, what's that indoor facility in um North Carolina the Virginia like, Beach one oh no no, no, no uh, JDL J North Carolina JDL yeah, yeah I went to JDL yeah I went there and saw um you know I saw the the two guys running the one was like 96 the other was like 98 at the time and they're sprinting and I'm like you know what, if they can get out there and do it, like I have no excuses. So, you know, I'm definitely proud to say like at 39, I was still high jumping six, nine. So. <laughs> wow. Really? Dude, I am convinced, uh, 
track people are just the most bored people in the world. So you, know, <laughs> you start a club coach, a uh, master's athlete, uh, you know, you got kids, man, that alone is busy enough. Being a husband, that's busy. You know, that takes time. I, I just love your boredom. It's like, all right, let me go jump six, nine as a 39 year old. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. We the other day, my daughter, she, she literally just asked me this because she was like, well, do you, um, she asked, did I, do I, did I miss, do I feel like I missed out on any, like, time with them because of track? Ooh. And I told this, her, like, is, which daughter is, how old? My, my oldest, Brianna. The one this, that Brianna hey, is, so. That's a smart question. You know what? That's not, did you miss me? That is a thinking question. She's smart. Okay. So that's a, that's a big question. Yeah, so, how, how did you answer? So I told her, I was like, honestly, and, and it's funny because from my mind, I was like, I was like, believe it or not, I don't think I missed out on it. I just think it, it came differently for us. So every track practice we're at wow. and, you know, you know, and I would definitely, I knew I wanted to be the type of father that like they can talk to me. It wasn't going to be like, I'm stern and that's it because I said so. So, you know, if we're at track, you guys don't realize it. Like if I was, your typical dad, like, you know, I come home, I'm tired from work. You know, you might not, we might not talk. We might just watch a show. I was like, but instead of we're at practice, you're telling me your day, you're talking to me about this boy or, or who do you like now or stuff like that. So I'm like, so we, we get that more, you know, and obviously, you know, we're track, we're practicing every day. So, so you get, you get that time to express and have with me. And then, you know, I started naming all the places we went. And I was like, you know, so by the time I was like, and I, right. I thought to her, I was like, well, how many states have you been to? Mm -hmm. And by the time she was done, I think it was like 21 states she'd been to because of track. And and wow. then, so then we start thinking about, and every time she named the state, she had a memory with it. And I'm like, so I just kind of point out, like, it's not exactly like, it may not be the traditional, but, you know, I think we checked off all the boxes. That is a really good lesson, my friend. You know, that goes back to when I said that this is not the only way. Your story is not the only way to coach Division One. There is no one way to be a parent, right? Uh, there are some bad ways. <laughs> uh, but the, the way you said there, you know, you did it differently. But you, you, what's important? Uh investing in your children, spending time with them, giving them the morals and guidelines to have them go make their own decisions. You did it, my friend. That is awesome. Wow. And obviously did it well enough that yep, so no. she's asking smart questions, man. That was really, that's amazing, man. Uh, yeah, no, no, it, it was cool. We, uh, I thought we were going to sit here and talk about you as a great college track or as a track, great track coach. You're an amazing father, my friend. I just want to bless you on that because that is your greatest legacy. We, you know, we we're here to talk about track coaching, but honestly, there are many, many more roles that are more important than coaching track and field and parenthood, fatherhood, motherhood is one of the top. If it's not number one, it's number two because you know, husband and wife is, is another important role to have there as well. So uh shout out to you. Shout out tell me your wife's name again. Did you say Sheila? Uh, Sheila. Yep, sure. Yeah, man. Shout out to you guys. You guys are doing it the right way. You're doing it your own unique way. And that is going to create your own unique, positive children who are going to go out and their, your legacy is going to continue because they're going to go out and affect other young people in positive manners, no matter what professions they go into, man. So shout out to you guys. You guys, uh, you guys did it your own way and you're doing it. Awesome. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. 
Well, man, so thank I'm, you for having me on. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, I'm appreciative of you, man. You know, the, uh, I say this every week and it's true. The most important, most valuable thing that you can give me is your time. And, you know, we, we've been at it for, uh, we're getting close to two hours, my man. Had a few technical difficulties, but that don't stop <laughs> us. Wait, this ain't a traditional right. podcast. That don't stop us. We keep moving forward. We keep uh, heading towards our goal. And I'm just so thankful that, you know, you'd have some uh, time for us today and, and give us your journey and the transparency of your journey. You know, I really do appreciate, uh, you know, the humbleness of like, yeah, I went and became a volunteer coach. You know what? That's, you're not, you're not supposed to do that. I'm doing air quotes. Right. Uh, but you know, you, you went and did that and then it's, uh, uh, paying off fruit for you and your family as you now go into full-time employment on the college level, which was, which was the goal. Yep. So thankful for you, man. And so thankful for you guys listening today. Uh, you know, we started off talking about this and ended a little bit here too, that Raphael talked about the podcast and some of the people specifically mentioning Mouse and Karen Dennis. And, you know, when we started this, uh, there were so many thoughts and goals that we had in mind. And this is exactly one of those goals. You know, we, we named it Connections. You've, you've heard me before. Uh, we named it Connections on purpose. It was to connect coaches from around the world and see a lot of commonalities and a lot of uniquenesses. And so, you know, our goal today with talking with uh, Mr. Raphael Craig here was that his journey is unique and someone out there right now, you're listening and you are starting to understand how you can put things together. If this guy can do it, you can do it. And I mean that in all of the positive ways out there. Now, to expand on that, we have to get more people to listen to this, right? This guy's story matters. Your story matters. So if you would give me one piece of your time and share this, either this uh, episode or maybe like uh, Raphael here, you, you got a favorite one, whether it was Mouse or Karen or Dwayne Ross or uh, Harry Mayer. I mean, we've got the who's who here on this podcast. Share your favorite episode on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Morse code, whatever you're using out there nowadays. I still like the good old email and text message. Uh, shoot that URL to someone that you think might receive value. And uh, really, you know, it's selfish for me. I want more listeners, of course, uh, but it gives value. And that's what at the end of the day, and that's what you heard in uh, Coach Craig's story today is about giving value to others. So thank you for being here today. I uh, can't wait to do it again next week. We're gonna have another awesome coach and uh, we'll just keep this journey going, man. 50,000 downloads and the goal remains the same. Uplift and honor track coaches from around the world. Thanks for being here today.